0: entitled The Magnificence of Man, was given on March the 29th of 1987, by Russell M. Nelson, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
1: Tonight, I would invite you to ponder things magnificent. To assist, let us define the word magnificent. It is derived from two Latin roots, the prefix magna comes from a term meaning great, and the suffix comes from the Latin facere, meaning to make or to do. So, a simple defi- definition of magnificent then might be great deed or greatly made. Think, if you will, of the most magnificent sight you've ever seen. It could be a meadow in springtime filled with beautiful wild flowers. Or perhaps you have been awestruck, as have I, at the magnificence of a single rose with its special beauty and perfume. I have come to appreciate the magnificence of an orange, with each droplet of juice neatly packaged in an edible container, joined with many other packets, grouped in sections and all neatly wrapped in a disposable, biodegradable peel. Some would say the most magnificent sight they've ever held is looking heavenward on a summer night, seeing stars beyond number dotting the sky. Those who have traveled in orbit through space say that their view of planet Earth was one of the most magnificent sights ever observed by man. Some might choose the view of the Grand Canyon at sunrise, others the beauty of a mountain lake, a river, waterfall, or a desert Some might select a peacock with its tail in full fan or a handsome horse. Others would nominate the beauty of butterfly wings or a hummingbird seemingly suspended in midair while feeding. These magnificent sights are wondrous beyond measure. They are all great deeds of our divine creator. You may be surprised at what I'm going to suggest now. Ponder the magnificence of all you see when you look in the mirror. Ignore the freckles, the unruly hair, and the blemishes, and look beyond to see the real you, a child of God created by him in his image. Tonight I would like to peek beyond the surface we see in the mirror and lift the lid on the treasure chest of understanding of the marvelous attributes of your body and discover, at least in part, the magnificence of man. Time won't permit us to do more than sample some of the glittering jewels of magnificence in this treasure chest but we might reach in and just look at some of the gems awaiting our view. In the first compartment of the treasure chest we might look at the magnificence of our creation itself. We don't know precisely how two germ cells unite to become a human embryo, but we do know that both the female cell and the male cell contain all the new individual's total hereditary material and information stored in a space so small it cannot be seen by the naked eye. Twenty-three chromosomes from both the father and the mother unite in one new cell. These chromosomes contain thousands of genes. A marvelous process of genetic coding is established by which the basic human characteristics of the unborn person are determined. A new DNA complex is formed. A continuum of growth is instituted which results in a new human being. Approximately 22 days after those two germ cells have united, a little heart begins to beat. 26 days, the circulation of blood begins. Cells multiply and divide, some becoming differentiated to become eyes that see, others become ears that hear while others are destined to become fingers that feel the wonderful things about us. Yes, awareness of the magnificence of man begins with the miracles of conception and our creation. In our treasure chest of understanding, we can look to the compartment of capability of selected organs. Time won't permit complete consideration, but each jewel merits our admiration, appreciation, and awe. Let's mention the magnificence of the eyes with which we see. No doubt you have stood before the mirror, as have I, watching pupils change in size, dilating to let more light in, constricting to reduce the amount of light allowed to reach the sensitive retina of the eye. A self-focusing lens is located at the front of the eye. Nerves and muscles synchronize the function of two separate eyes to produce one three-dimensional image. Eyes are connected to a brain ready to record sightseeing. No cords, no batteries, no external connections are needed. Our visual apparatus is marvelous, infinitely more priceless than any camera that money can buy. As we admire good stereophonic equipment for sensing sound, ponder the magnificence of the human ear. It is so remarkable, compacted into the area about the size of a marble, is all the equipment needed to perceive sound. A tiny tympanic membrane serves as the diaphragm. Three minute ossicles amplify the signal, which is then transmitted along nerve lines to the brain, which registers the result of hearing. This marvelous sound system is also connected to the recording instrument of the brain. As President Ames has indicated, a large portion of my life study and research have been focused on the jewel of the human heart, a pump which is so magnificent that its power is almost beyond our comprehension. To control the flow of blood within it, There are four important valves, pliable as a parachute and delicate as a dainty silk scarf. They open and close over 100,000 times a day, over 36 million times a year. Yet, unless altered by disease, they are so rugged that they stand this kind of wear seemingly indefinitely. No man-made material developed thus far can be flexed this frequently and for so long without breaking. The amount of work done by the heart each day is most amazing. It pumps enough fluid each day to fill a 2,000-gallon tank car. The work it performs daily is equivalent to lifting a 150-pound man to the top of the Empire State Building while consuming only about 4 watts of energy—less than that used by a small light bulb in your home. At the crest of the heart is an electrical generator which transmits energy down special lines causing myriads of muscle fibers to beat in coordination and in rhythm. This synchrony would be the envy of the conductor of any orchestra. All this power is condensed in this faithful pump, the human heart, about the size of one's fist, energized from within by an endowment from on high. One of the most wondrous of all jewels in this treasure chest is the human brain with its intricate combination of power cells, recording, memory, storage, and retrieval systems. It serves as headquarters for the personality and character of each human being. As I observe the lives of great individuals, I sense that the capacity of the brain is seemingly infinite. Wise men can become even wiser as each experience builds upon previous experience. Indeed, continuing exercise of intellect brings forth increased intellectual capacity. Each time I marvel at a computer and admire the work it can do, I respect even more the mind of man which developed the computer. The human brain is certainly a recording instrument that will participate in our judgment one day as we stand before the Lord. The Book of Mormon speaks of a bright recollection and of a perfect remembrance that will be with us at that time. Each one of us carries that marvelous recording instrument guarded within the vault of the human skull. As we symbolically sift through the treasure chest of understanding, we could spend hours, even a lifetime, studying the incredible chemical capacity of the liver, the kidneys, or any and all of the endocrine or exocrine glands of the body. Each is a shimmering jewel worthy of our study and our deepest gratitude. Now let's turn our attention to jewels in another compartment in the treasure chest of understanding, leaving behind those representing the marvelous function of each specific organ. Let us consider some concepts that bridge beyond individual organ systems. The first concept I would mention is that of reserve or backup. In the theater, major actors have an understudy. In electrical instruments, backup in the event of power failure may be provided by batteries. In the body, think of the backup provided by a number of organs which are paired such as the eye, ear, lung, adrenal gland, kidney, and more. In the event of illness, injury, or loss of one, the other is there ready to keep our bodily functions intact. In the event of loss of sight or hearing altogether, other sensory powers become augmented in a miraculous manner. I thought of that as I was visiting the hospital just before coming here and saw the numbers of the floors on the elevator. and I put my finger on there as if I had no sight and my fingers weren't smart enough to read those little dots. But those who are sightless can. Some backup systems are not so apparent. For example, crucial single organs like the brain, the heart, and the liver all have a double blood supply. They are nourished by two routes of circulation which minimize damage in the event of loss of blood flow through any single vessel. Another dimension of backup I shall describe as collateral pathways. For example, if our nasal passageways are obstructed by a stuffy nose, we may breathe through our mouths. Similarly, collateral pathways may grow in event of obstruction or severance of blood vessels or nerves. Consider another concept, that of self-defense of the body. I watched some three-year-old children playing one day. I saw them lapping water from the sidewalk after it had spilled through a neighbor's garden. I suppose the number of germs they ingested were incalculable in number, but not one of those children became ill. They were defended by their bodies. As soon as that dirty drink reached their stomachs, hydrochloric acid went to work to purify the water and protect the lives of those innocent children. Think of the protection provided by the skin. Could you conjure in your mind how to create a cloak that would protect you and yet at the same time perceive and warn against injuries that excessive heat or cold might cause? That the skin does. It even gives signals which indicate that another part of the body is ailing. The skin can flush and sweat with fever. When one is frightened or ill, the skin pales when one is embarrassed, the skin blushes. And it is replete with nerve fibers that communicate and often uh, limit possible harm through perception of pain. Now, pain itself is part of the body's defense mechanism. For example, protection is provided by sensory areas of the mouth which guard the delicate esophagus, which has very few nerve fibers. The mouth receives warnings which protect the tender esophagus from becoming burned if drinks were swallowed that were too hot. The defense of the body includes chemical antibodies which are manufactured in response to infections acquired along life's way. Each time we are exposed to bacterial or viral infections, antibodies are made. They not only combat that infection but persist with memory to strengthen resistance in days to come when military conscription was required in world war number 2 soldiers who had come from isolated rural areas had much less immunity and were more prone to infections than were those from more highly populated urban areas whose risk resistance had been better developed Closely related to the concept of self-defense is that of self-repair. Consider the fact that broken bones mend and become strong once again. If I were to break one of the legs of the chair I was just sitting on, how long would we have to wait for that chair leg to heal itself? It would never happen. Yet many here tonight walk on legs that once were broken. Lacerations in the skin heal themselves. A leak in the circulation will seal itself, but circulatory systems outside the body do not have this power. I gained appreciation for that early in my research career when working in the laboratory to create an artificial heart-lung machine. Whenever tubing in the machine would spring a leak, that meant long hours cleaning up the lab and I came home late for dinner. Never did a leak in the artificial heart-lung machine ever seal itself. Remarkable is the concept of self-renewal. Each cell in the body is created and then regenerated from elements of the earth according to the recipe or formula contained within genes unique to us. The average red blood corpuscle, for example, lives about 120 days. It then dies and replaced by another. Each time you bathe, thousands of dead and dying cells are scrubbed away to be replaced by a younger crop. That will happen whether you take your bath once a day or once a week, whether you need it or not. To my thinking, this process of self-renewal prefigures the process of resurrection. Another concept that is truly remarkable is that of auto-regulation. In spite of wide fluctuations in the temperature of man's environment, for example, the temperature of the body is carefully controlled within very narrow bounds. Have you ever wondered why you can't swim underwater very long? Autoregulation limits the time you can hold your breath. As breath is held, carbon dioxide accumulates. Partial pressure of carbon dioxide is monitored continuously by two carotid bodies situated in the neck. They transmit signals up nerves to the brain. The brain then sends stimuli to the muscles of respiration causing them to work so that we might inhale a new refreshment of oxygen and eliminate the retained carbon dioxide this is but one of many many servo mechanisms that autoregulate individual ingredients in our bodies the number of these systems exceeds our ability to enumerate them sodium potassium water glucose protein nitrogen are but a few of the many constituents continuously monitored by chemical regulators within our bodies consider the concept of adaptation. People on the earth dwell midst climatic and dietary differences of vast scope. Eskimos in the Arctic Circle, for example, consume a diet with a large component of fat, which is acceptable and even necessary to sustain life in a very cold climate. The Polynesian, on the other hand, eats a diet provided by a tropical environment, Yet these different groups work and adapt to varying conditions and diet available to them. The concept of identity in reproduction is marvelous to contemplate. Each one of us possesses seeds that carry our unique chromosomes and genes, which control our own specific cellular identity. For this reason, tissues transplanted surgically from one person to another can only survive by suppressing the host's immune response that clearly recognizes tissues foreign to one's own genetic formula. Truly we are blessed to have children born in the likeness of parents on earth and in heaven. As we consider self-defense Self-repair, self-renewal, an interesting paradox emerges. Limitless life could result if these marvelous qualities of the body continued in perpetuity. Just think, if you could create anything that could defend itself, repair itself, and renew itself without limit, you could create perpetual life. That our Creator did with the bodies He created for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If they had continued to be nourished from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. According to the Lord, as revealed through His prophets, the fall of Adam instituted the aging process, which results ultimately in physical death. Of Course we do not understand all the chemistry, but we are witnesses of the consequences of growing old. It'll happen to you too. Just wait and see. <clears throat> someone said it's hectic grow old. And then someone else said consider the alternative. This and other pathways of release assure that there is a length, a limit to the length of life upon the earth. Speaking of the aging process, I'll have to tell you a little story. We've got a wonderful granddaughter who said to her grandmother one day in one of those little precious teaching moments, Grandmother, you've got new glasses. Grandmother put them on and said, Do I look younger with them on or with them off? So the little granddaughter said, well, put them on and then take them off. And she repeated the process a couple, three times. And then the granddaughter said to her grandmother, Grandmother, it's older either way. <laughs> <laughs> And then, sensing that her candor may have exceeded her diplomacy, she said, Grandmother, have you tried oil of Olay? (laughs) Yes, troubles do develop in our bodies that do not repair themselves with time. To the skilled physician, this profound question is posed by each sick patient scene. Will this illness get better, or will it get worse with the passage of time? The former needs only supportive care. The latter requires significant help to convert the process of progressive deterioration to one that might improve with time. Death, when it comes, generally seems to be untimely to the mortal mind then we need to have the larger view that death is part of life. It was not expedient that man should be reclaimed from this temporal death, for that would destroy the great plan of happiness. When severe illness or injuries claim an individual in the flowering prime of life, we can take comfort in this fact. The very law which could not allow life to persist here are the same eternal laws that will be implemented at the time of the resurrection when that body shall be restored to its proper and perfect frame. Thoughts of life, death, and resurrection bring us face to face with crucial questions. How were we made? By whom? Through the ages, some without scriptural understanding have tried to explain our existence by pretentious words, such as ex nihilo, out of nothing. Others have deduced that because of certain similarities between different forms of life, there has been a natural selection of the species, or organic evolution from one form to another. Still others have concluded that man came as a consequence of a big bang which resulted in the creation of our planet and life upon it. To me, such theories are unbelievable. Could an explosion in a printing shop produce a dictionary? It's unthinkable but it could be argued to be within a remote realm of possibility. Even if that could happen, such a dictionary could certainly not heal its own torn pages or renew its own worn corners or reproduce its own subsequent editions. We are children of God, created by him, formed in his image. Recently, I studied the scriptures simply to find how many times they testify of the divine creation of man. Looking up references that referred either to create, form, or their derivatives, with either man, men, male, or female in the same verse, I found there are at least 55 verses of scripture that attest to our divine creation. I've selected one to represent all those verses that convey the same conclusion. Quote, The gods took counsel among themselves and said, Let us go down and form man in our image, after our likeness. So the gods went down to organize man in their own image, in the image of the gods, to form they him male and female, to form they, them." Close quote. I believe all of those scriptures pertaining to the creation of man. But the decision to believe is a spiritual one, not born solely by an understanding of things physical. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It is incumbent upon each of us who may be informed or spiritually attuned to help overcome such foolishness of men who would deny divine creation or think that man simply evolved. By the Spirit we perceive the truer and more believable wisdom of God. With great conviction, I add my testimony to that of my fellow Apostle Paul, who said, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. The Lord said that the spirit and the body are the soul of man. Each one of us, therefore, is a dual being, a biological or physical entity, and an intellectual or spiritual entity. The combination of both is intimate throughout mortality. In the beginning... Man, as that intellectual entity, was with God. Our intelligence was not created or made, nor can it be. That spirit joined with a physical body of such remarkable qualities becomes a living soul of supernal worth. The psalmist so expressed this thought. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Why were we created? Why are we here upon the earth? God has made it plain over and over again that the world was made for mankind to exist. We are here to work out our divine destiny according to an eternal plan presented to us in the great council of heaven. Our bodies have been created to accommodate our spirits, to allow us to experience the challenges of mortality. With this understanding, it is pure sacrilege to let anything enter the body that might defile this physical temple of God. It is irreverent even to let the gaze of our precious eyesight or the sensors of our touch or hearing supply the brain with memories that are unclean and unworthy? Could any of us lightly regard precious seeds of reproduction, specifically and uniquely ours, or disregard the moral laws of God who gave rules concerning their sacred use? Knowing we are created as children of God and by Him given agency to choose, we must also know that we are accountable to Him. He has defined the truth and prescribed commandments. Obedience to His law will bring us joy. Disobedience of those commandments is defined as sin. While we live in a world that seems Increasingly reluctant to designate dishonorable deeds as sinful, a scripture so warns, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. No one is perfect. Some may have sinned grievously in transgressing God's laws. Mercifully, we can repent. That's an important part of life's opportunity as well. Repentance requires spiritual dominion over the appetites of the flesh. Every physical system has appetite. Our desires to eat, drink, see, hear, feel, respond to those appetites. But all appetites must be controlled by the intellect for us to attain true joy. On the other hand, Whenever we allow uncontrolled appetites of the body to determine behavior opposed to nobler promptings of the spirit, the stage is set for misery and grief. Substances such as alcohol, tobacco, and harmful drugs are forbidden by the Lord. We have similarly been warned about the evils of pornography and unclean thoughts, Appetites for these degrading forces can become addictive. Physical or mental addictions become doubly serious because in time they enslave both the body and the spirit. Full repentance from these shackles or any other yokes to sin must be accomplished in this life while we still have the aid of a mortal body to help us develop self-mastery. When we truly know our divine nature, our thoughts and behavior will be more appropriate. Then we will control our appetites. We will focus our eyes on sights, our ears on sounds, and our minds on thoughts that are a credit to our physical creation as a temple of our Father in Heaven. In daily prayer, we may gratefully acknowledge God as our Creator, thank Him for the magnificence of our physical temple, and then heed His counsel. Though we cannot fully comprehend the magnificence of man, in faith we can continue our reverent quest. We may join with Jacob in this marvelous declaration. "Behold." Great and marvelous are the works of the Lord. How unsearchable are the depths of the mysteries of him, and it is impossible that man should find out all his ways. For behold, by the power of his word, man came upon the face of the earth, which earth was created by the power of his word. Wherefore, brethren, seek not to counsel the Lord, but to take counsel from his hand. For years I have attended scientific meetings of learned societies. Medical scientists and practitioners by the thousands participate in such assemblies annually from all over the world. The quest for knowledge is endless. It seems that the more we know, the more there is yet to learn. It is impossible that man may learn all the ways of God. But as we are faithful and are deeply rooted In scriptural accounts of God's magnificent creations, we will be well prepared for future discoveries. All truth is compatible because it all emanates from God. Of course, we know that there is an opposition in all things. Even in the world, many so-called educators teach contrary to divine truth. Be mindful of this prophetic counsel. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good, if they hearken unto the counsels of God. You need not be reminded that the work and glory of the Lord are opposed by Satan, who is the master of deceit. Many follow his teachings. Remember, man may deceive his fellow men. Deception may follow deception. And the children of the wicked one may have power to seduce the foolish and untaught till naught but fiction feeds the many, and the fruit of falsehood carries in its current the giddy to the grave. Be wise and keep away from temptations and snares. Cautiously avoid foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Flee these things and follow after righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. The magnificence of man is matchless. Glorious as this physical tabernacle is, the body is designed to support something even more glorious the eternal spirit which dwells in each of our moral frames. The great accomplishments of this life are rarely physical. Those attributes by which we shall be judged one day are spiritual. With the blessing of our bodies to assist us, we may develop spiritual qualities of honesty, integrity, compassion, and love. Only with the development of the Spirit may we acquire faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. Pattern your lives after our great exemplar, even Jesus the Christ, whose parting words among men included this eternal challenge. What manner of men ought ye to be, even as I am? We are sons and daughters of God. He is our Father. We are his children. Our divine inheritance is the magnificence of man. May we honor it and magnify it, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer